0: If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to two places. One will be in the book of James, chapter 1. That's towards the back of your Bible. If you start at Revelation, you'll get there quicker than you do if you turn to Matthew. And the other one will be in 2 Samuel, and you'll get there quicker if you start in Genesis. Uh, it's funny, as Omar was talking about uh, this song, and we've been talking about it for a few weeks, and just uh, uh, looking through it, there's, there's like 15 scripture stories in that song. You, you could pull it apart and get a picture of the Old Testament and the New Testament and what it all points to in that, in that song. And so the words, there's a ton of them because it covers so much Scripture. And I was reading about <clears throat> that a little bit this, this morning, and, and I, I've been studying this week. My degree is in psychology. My favorite class um, probably in my field of study was cognitive psychology How our how our mind works and how our brain works and and looking at that I remember going through all these things We have to remember seeing how much in your short-term memory how many different items you can remember uh, They used to say five to seven believe it or not common uh, Tension span of today. It's about four. We get about four things we can keep in our uh, In our short-term memory. It's kind of getting worse and worse as um, iPhone usage goes up I think maybe part of that but but to go through and to remember all of those songs, all those scriptures, all that story, and, and allow the Holy Spirit fuel and, and, and food to bring to the surface in our time of need. It's an amazing thing. And today, we're talking about this trap of sin. And, and really, how we remember things matters. You know, I don't know about you, you, you but... Um, our mind and this is pretty universal our mind has a way of projecting our feeling about something or someone today back onto our memories do you know that I mean, let me let me tell you how that is my kids I, I think highly of my children and so when Christy says do you remember when they were small I'm like that was wonderful she's like crying in the hallway for 20 nights in a row is wonderful do you remember? when? I mean, she just goes through it, and she's, she's like, it w- wasn't always wonderful. And I thought, you know, th- that makes sense. I'm projecting how I feel back on them. I'm pretty sure that's a gift from God. Otherwise, ladies, we would all have one kid probably, right? You're like, oh, I love this little thing. I need to do it again. Your husband's like, are you kidding me? You threatened me eight times that day. It wasn't a great day for us for, for a little while there. It was dangerous. Um, we, we project and our, our mind is kind of tricky. And, and what's funny is we, we kind of look at how our mind works and the way that, that God even designed us and then he uses it is is that our mind is such the way that we store information is tricky. In fact, it, deceiving the mind is not very hard. And we're not going to do any tricks. If you want to play tricks, you can go home. It's a great continuation of the study. But studies have shown that that in a conversation long enough, if I plant... A grouping of words in your mind, like nap and uh, pillow and uh, blanket, and we talk about it long enough. If you were to fill out a questionnaire, you would be asked if if I said the word sleep, you would probably say yes. In other words, the idea of, of study is how this goes: is we can lure people in by our words, we can lure them in into making them think beyond a reasonable shadow uh, of a doubt that they heard something that is not a real memory at all. We do that with all kinds of things, and sin's no different. Um, I don't know, did any of you have a slinky growing up? Did anyone love a slinky? If you gave a little slinky, raise your hand. Do you remember how much fun you had playing with slinkies? It's a pretty amazing thing. I, you know It starts here, and you, you tip it over like that, right? You tip it over, and the bottom follows, and it keeps going, and keeps going. How much fun that was. See, I think I loved playing with slinkies, but I'm sure every slinky I had ended up like this. Okay, so here's what I want. Did anyone have a slinky that did not end up like this somewhere in your life? Like, are you an engineer today? That's all I can think. Because all of my slinkies seemed like they lasted until I put them away the first or second night. And then they looked like this. And I don't know if you've ever tried to fix a slinky. I I thought if I just cut off the part that's not working, did anyone ever try that? Then it should work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Then what happens is is you start messing up whatever little coil action God created, that when this starts, the bottom follows. And what was amazing is is if you lived in a house with stairs, which we didn't always live in a house with stairs, to watch it, just gravity, you just had to push it over. And then all of a sudden, gravity doesn't work, and it pulls it out of your hand. And, and let me tell you, as I was thinking about today and I was thinking about sin, a lot of times we look at things in life like, like they're going to work out just right. If we just tip it over and get it started, the rest of it will go. And yet it's, it seems like life ends up just torn up and out of whack a lot. And, and I'll tell you, I think there's a motion that Scripture is pretty clear about that's given to sin, that, that when we forget what happens where sin leads if we forget who our sin is really an affront to that we think we're playing with a toy that will work out okay in the end and in reality it leads us to a place of displeasure and a a place of brokenness you know that's that's the way that sin works and 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 we look at it in our context today look in James 1 with me we look in our context today and and we start saying you know how does my, my sin doesn't hurt anyone or anything? If it's just my sin, what's it, God's going to forgive me. It's going to be all right. And, and yet what Scripture shows us pretty clearly is that sin is this dramatic need that God saw, that, that God knew was creating distance between us, that he sent his son to die for us. And we know that, and if if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that means that you confess, God, I am a sinner, and it's caused a disconnect, a disassociation, a displeasure with us. And yet I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, and he lived a perfect life that only he could do, and he died and he rose again so that you and I could be near together again. you made a way, I was the offender, I was the abuser, and you still made a way for me to draw near to you. And yet, in that, as the song said, in this space between, in this reckoning, yet in that, we still, every now and then, that that think that that sin is a game that we can stop before it gets too bad, or we can we can encounter a little bit and it, and it doesn't matter. And that's not what Scripture says. And so today, I want us to remember what Scripture says to maybe recorrect Our mindset. Look at your Bible at James chapter 1. We'll be in verse 12, and we'll carry that down just to verse 13 for just a second because this is really important. It says this Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts with no one. Let's go all the way down then to 15 here. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do you see this pattern? This almost, it's almost like once one piece goes, the other part has to follow. Now, when we read this passage... God lets us see a little bit of character in the midst of this. He gives us this picture, this idea about himself. He says, first of all, when you're tempted to sin, don't let anyone say that God is tempting you. Now, this is a big statement about God's character, and it's a big statement about our character as well. Why? Because what it's saying is, is that God is not some Trickster, joking God that that's trying to lure you into a place of safety only to destroy you. That that's not God's desire. This by itself separates the God of Scripture over many other gods of other religions. That the one true God who is out there. He says, "Hey, listen. My character is not one to tempt. It's to save." It, it, In other words, God says, I'm not a self-saboteur. If I said that I so love the world that I gave my only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life, why would I put temptations out that would draw you or distract you from eternal life? So first of all, we know in in our character that we pursue or we have a God who doesn't tempt us because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. So in that what do we what do we find out in this situation? Verse 12 says this. It says, "Blessed is the man who stays steadfast under trial." Here's what I want you to know. If if temptation is not caused by God, let's say that temptation is caused by the fallen state of the world. Let's say even that that we have others around us who desire to tempt us. But do you know no one has ever forced me into temptation. Has that ever happened to you? No one's ever forced me into temptation. What Scripture shows is, is that in me, in me there is a sin, there is a desire that wants to take the bait. It's not a trickster Lord drawing it out of me. It's, it's there's a desire that God is reckoning through sanctification that is being tempted and and the reality is only I make myself pursue that temptation if I'm new in Christ Jesus if Jesus Christ has made me whole he's made me new he's given me the, the power he's given me the spirit of God if he's washed me clean then only I can do that now check verse 14 verse 14 says this It says that you and I are lured and enticed away. The word lure simply means this. It means to be dragged away. To enticed means to be trapped with bait. This is what Scripture says. How sin begins is when you and I are enticed. You and I are dragged away by our own desires. And we get trapped by the bait of temptation. Isn't that amazing? It's not God making you, in Christ, I want you to know, and even outside of Christ, the devil doesn't make you do anything. I'm not sure where that came from. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, I promise he does not cohabitate. Amen? So the devil doesn't make you do anything. Outside of Christ, you and I are a hotel of sin. We're inviting the enemy in because we're living in that displeasure. But it's still you and I, they're accountable. And so I think it's wise for us to look at the book of James and to see: blessed is the man who stays steadfast under trial because each person is tempted. When he's tempted, he's Lord and he's enticed by his own desire and then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown gives forth to this i was looking at this if you're in a bible you can look in in second samuel in the life of david and like a slinky we get this picture of sin bouncing around leading us from where god calls us to a place of his displeasure it's 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 like God is telling us on the front end, this is what sin does. This is what stepping off of of our path, this is what life outside of me happens, you and I. If we stand fast in trial, then then we find ourselves having all that God desires. We find ourselves in the place that our heart wants to be anyway, but when you and I try to take life into our own hands outside of the Lord's will, we find ourselves like a slinky just bouncing down to a different place. In your Bible in 2nd Samuel chapter 11, we have the story of of David and Bathsheba. And in this story, it's pretty interesting how much it parallels with what God says in the book of James. I've read this story many times in my life and every time it is a reminder of what sin accomplishes in the life even of one who loves the Lord. Look in your Bible at 2nd Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 and 2. Let's look what sin does here. The Bible says in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab And his servants with him, and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. And David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened late one evening, when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. You see, I think this is what you and I should be aware of. When when you and I are living outside of God's calling on our life, of what God's placed us into in that moment, that's a big G, that place that God's called us into, we start to see, we start to understand that sin is on the horizon. Have you noticed that? I I want you to process this just for a moment. When you are living in God's calling, It's amazing how temptation is not beautiful. Isn't it amazing? You know what? On on my honeymoon with my wife, being the husband that God called me to be, enjoying and delighting each other's presence and and talking through and seeing things, when, when we are fully caring for one another, Ephesians 5 kind of way, do you know what? i don't even know if anyone else was in the world during that week i wasn't tempted in any way shape or form because i was consumed with what i knew was god's gift and calling in my life do you you know in your workplace When you are living out God's calling in how you work and how you engage with others, it's funny how Sim and the schemes of people around you, they they just seem silly. They seem unimportant. They seem powerless. You see, because when you and I are staring in the footsteps, in the face, in the future, in the direction of the Lord Most High, it's amazing how His glory blinds us to all the garbage that tempts us with a false attraction. Church, King David was put in his place to rule and to lead God's people. And the Bible says, you see the story begin when he is not fulfilling his calling. At a time when all of his men are out to war. He's been out to war with them hundreds of times before. At a time when they're out to war, he is not fulfilling his calling. He, for whatever reason, maybe he's being king, is getting a little too comfortable on his mind. Maybe he's getting a little too settled. Listen, note to self. Whether it's your marriage or your parenting or your work Or your school, it's amazing how comfort, how comfort leads us out of God's plan, isn't it? At 21 years, 32 years, you you should be fulfilling God's calling towards your wife, towards your children, just like you were the first day. In Christ, that vigor should be there just as much because when it is not. When it is not, we find ourselves susceptible to sin on the horizon. David, the king, being off to war, not doing what God called him to do for whatever reason, you make it up. He decides in one evening to go up on his rooftop, and behold, he sees a woman bathing. Now, I've thought about this a million times. David could have right there went, oh, my Lord mercy, I am so sorry. He could have absolutely in this moment seen, he could have seen the temptation and he could have turned away. The problem is when we're living outside of God's call, when we're we're not doing what God calls us to do, it's amazing how we're not listening for his voice and our desires start to lure and entice us. And that's what's happening in David's life. This idea, this, this proximity starts to arise up because sin is on the horizon. And so the first link falls. Verse 3 says this. It says, And David sent and inquired about the woman. And, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? You see, when sin is created, it creates an inquiry. I-R-Y. If y'all can, maybe that'll get that right it creates this inquiry it, 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 it's almost like I just want to know a little bit more I, I, don't, I don't want to get in the midst of it I don't, I, don't I'm not gonna, I'm just, I just want to know what's wrong with knowing I'm just doing research isn't that what sin does sin doesn't normally say hey how's life going and all of a sudden you end up how did I get here I'll tell you how you got there. It's a process. It doesn't surprise you. It's amazing how sin starts with this inquiry because it's luring you. What's at the bait? It's like a mouse in a trap. What's in the bait? Let me just come a little closer. Let me just smell. Let me just get just a feel. I'm not I'm going to look. I can't touch. Look at the menu. I'm not going to order. All the other crude things that are said in this world. They're all about this idea of inquiring. And that's what sin does it tricks us in. I'm just inquiring, it's just a conversation. I haven't done anything yet. Now, Jesus would say, that's not true. But let's pretend we believe ourselves. What when we live outside of our calling, we start to inquire about something that we know is outside of our realm. And here's the beautiful thing David finds out that this is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, here's the key for Uriah being a Hittite means that he was most likely a mercenary. Okay, just check that out. He, he, as a Hittite, he was not part of the group. And so as a, as a mercenary, by choice, he is coming in and he's fighting for the king. You see, he is giving his loyalty to the king so the king can do his job and provide for him. But what happens is, when David the king is living outside of his calling... What does sin lead him to do? The opposite of what God has written on his heart. He doesn't consider that here's a man who's here for for help and that is living and believing that while he's away, the king will ensure his family is safe. Because what, what sin does is it begins an investigation, and it's a very careful investigation looking for the facts that I want to to see. I think in this moment, David could have said, when you said her name was Bathsheba, that was enough. I didn't need any more details. Because what what an inquiry does, it desires proximity. It, it, it It desires this drawing to get closer. The inquiry creates a proximity, and that proximity grips us. And it engages our flesh. And, and David shows that in verse 4. So David sent messengers and took her and came, and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house. Church, if Christ died for you so that you could be set free, And then Scripture says, listen, when temptation is on the horizon, this is how it works. Then it's for you and I to jam into our long-term memory it should drape our soul because god knows when temptation is out there and you and i aren't living in our call when he is not captivated his sacrifice for you is not captivating you when you are trying to live for christ on your own strength that sin is on the horizon and that you will eventually, somewhere or another, inquire of what is that color I'm, un- I'm not used to on the horizon. And that inquiry leads to a proximity and that proximity grips our flesh. Should, listen, uh, we're, we're going through uh, teaching our, our kids how to drive. Connor is 15. He's got his driver's permit now. Um, It's amazing. We we taught Ashley how to drive, and now Connor, it's different. Parent, It's different with boys and girls. It's also different with your first and your second. I'm learning this. But but as Connor drives, we drive in the same area all the time because I want him to become familiar with it. I want him to get good at it in a place I'm familiar with. And then I was reading some statistics the other day, which means I'm going to change it up a little bit. Because I was reading this that one-third of all accidents happen within one to five miles of your home. Why? Because you're familiar with it. Now, catch this. This This is ridiculous. The type, the most common collision that happens. The most common collision that happens between this one and five miles. Do you know what it is? Hitting a parked car. Now, some of y'all are laughing. Laugh it up. Who's done it? Put your hand up. It's church. Right? Yeah, I mean, the reality is the more familiar we get with something, the closer we get to it. I know this street. There's always cars parked along. It's fine. I'm used to it. I know what's going on. Wham. What happened? Well, there's never a truck parked there. Are you kidding me? David's like, I was on the roof. No one's ever in that pond. What? See, what sin does is when we're living outside of our calling, we find this comfort to inquire of it more. And this inquiry makes us want to touch it, makes us want to experience, to see if it's good. Ask Adam and Eve. Hey, look at the fruit. It's all right. Sin makes us want to gravitate to it. And if you are living outside of God's call, outside of his will, he is telling you, you are being lured in. And that proximity creates an engagement. And the engagement is undeniable. Look at verse 5. And the woman conceived, and she sent, and she told him the only thing Bathsheba says, I am pregnant. You see, here's what sin tells you. Sin tells you, it's okay. We're always going to stay above water. You're going to be fine. You can get away with this. It's going to be alright. It's not destructive. Jesus loves you. He looks overhauling all the time. But he says it's going to remain a secret. See, that's what sin tells you. In fact, that's what we tell our own heart, isn't it? It's going to be a secret. No one's going to know. When we tell ourselves that, we have completely kicked God out of our whole conversation. We're no longer following his lead, and we can't pretend otherwise. Because sin lies and says, you can keep it a secret, but church, here's what I want you to know. You're not fooling anyone but yourself. Right? Sin remains a secret, but only in our own mind. Because the Bible says that we serve a God whom the darkness couldn't comprehend. It couldn't accept it. And he shines light in the darkness. The shadows are not his dwelling place. In Christ Jesus, here's what I want you to know. If you are his beloved, if you have claimed the name of Christ Jesus, your sin is known to the almighty God who loves you. And scripture says, he whom he loves, he what? Disciplines. See, this is where sin no longer becomes this playground. This is is where sin no longer remains above board. So David hears that that Bathsheba's pregnant. Look in your Bible, verse 6 down through verse 13. So David sent the word to Joab, send Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David. He's a mercenary. When Uriah came to him, David asked Job how he was doing. And the people were doing, and the war was doing. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet, stay with your wife. That's not in there. And Uriah went out of the king's house, but there followed him a present from the king. And Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. He would not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah will not go down to his house, David said, why? You've come from a long journey. Why do you not go down to your house? And Uriah said, the ark, catch this, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. My Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and the souls live, I will not do this thing. So David said, remain here tomorrow and I'll send you back. And Uriah named the next day in Jerusalem. And David invited him in. And he ate in his presence, and he drank so that he got drunk. In the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he would not go down to his house. You see, all of a sudden we see this reality that sin schemes. Sin starts to scheme. You see, the, the fruit, I promise you, the joy of encountering sin is gone. David is no longer feeling the, wow, there's a beautiful moment in the pond. This moment is David saying, I need to save myself. I need to cover my sin. Church, that is what Jesus alone can And yet what sin tells you is to keep the secret that only you think is a secret, you must scheme. And the problem is because God loves whom he disciplines, because sin is not only your enticer, it is the fuel of the enemy, the accuser. It's going to make your scheme blow up. Here is this mercenary that is so loyal to the king, so concerned about the ark, so concerned about the people that he will not go off duty even while on a break. You see, sin turns. It's not, ooh, I tasted. It's consuming. The story goes on and it says this, and you can read it later on and and check in the next few verses. When David figures out that Uriah will not go and, and cover up Unintentionally for him. He writes a note to the leader of his army that says, I want you to go to the front of the line when Uriah the Hittite is at the front. I want everyone else to pull back so that he dies. And then he gave the note to Uriah, a faithful servant, to carry his own death sentence into battle. Later on, Job says, King it's done. See, because this is the reality. When you and I are consumed with sin, it reveals what started the all the whole thing. When you and I leave the calling of God, we are consumed with self. What did Jesus Christ die for you and I to be free from? the chains of sin and self what is crucified with Christ me I am what sin does is it consumes and and it honors its own above all else it always leads to death church sin always leads to death how do I know this because it's not your death alone It, it led to the death of Christ Christ died for your sins and once and for all, he made a way to be free. And, and, it, and he does it to show you the joy that, that is set before you. Not not to be consumed with this slinky life that you and I are lived in over and over. I know I'm not who I'm supposed to be. Maybe this will help. Let me try to go a little bit deeper. Oh, that was horrible. I've got to find a way out of it. Oh, it's all about me no matter who gets in my way. No matter who is destroyed. I have to make sure that I stand, which is cementing your feet outside of the calling of God. The Bible says this, look in your Bible, verse 27. After Uriah is dead, it says, when the morning was over, David sent and brought Bathsheba into his house. He wants to cover his scheme. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Church, if you don't realize anything else today, is that God is displeased, displeasure in our sin. That if you and I think that you and I can live and toy with sin and, and, and ride the fence on things like that, then we will understand that we will dwell in God's displeasure. As we've been reading in our reading of the last two weeks. Hebrews 10, written to God's people. It says that when we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge, there's no longer a sacrifice for our sin, but a fearful expectation come of judgment and fury and fire because the Lord will consume his adversaries. You see, if we commit our life to sin, then we are rejecting the truth that came to us. And, and in that, I'm not, I'm not saying Scripture doesn't point to the reality that once you are saved by Christ that you can lose your salvation. But, but maybe this morning you have thought that you could toy with sin. Just a little lie here just a little glance there, just a little uh, insight, a little side, whatever. And it's not a big deal. A big deal ends you up in the displeasure of God. And what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says, it is a horrible thing to be in the hands of an angry God. It is a horrible thing when you and I put ourselves outside of who he is and that his anger and his wrath and his judgment falls that way. Listen to what it says. It is a fearful thing to fall under the hands of this living God. This this God who is alive, who's not dead. He's not died and hung on a cross. He's rose again. And what James says about our living God is this. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there are no variations or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits for his creature. That's your calling in Christ. Your calling in Christ is to realize that sin offers no gift. Sin offers no fruit. It only leads to death and the displeasure of the Almighty God. But the truth that God offers is don't fall for it. Seek me. Let me give you the desires of your heart. Because when you seek me first in my righteousness, I'll take care of the rest. Every good and perfect, it's all here, Church we are to go looking for nowhere else. I don't know where you are, what's going on in your life right now, but I want you to know that your eye and my eye needs to be captivated by the Lord who loves you. And the sin that maybe you're inquiring about right now that leads to destruction. Church, That is not God's will for you. That is not God's plan for you. For the living God is the Father of lights. And he wants you to be kind of a first fruits, showing the world, showing eternity what restoration looks like. So don't fall for it. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, as we look at... David and Bathsheba it's easy to stand back and say oh he shouldn't have done that or he shouldn't have have, have fallen for that but father God you tell us in your word that sin it, it entices it lures us and that sin is not some external force but it's the desires in us that we're to take captive before you father God would you help us to see and to know your grace and your truth Would you let the reality of sin's direction, of sin's gravity be known to our hearts? Lord, today in this room, I know. Father, I know that there are people that are inquiring of sin. Father, maybe there are some that are scheming even today. Father God, would you let their journey back to you begin right now? Father God, would you call them back? Would you show them your good and perfect gift that even comes in your discipline? And let us be a people that are first fruits, that are different, not like the fallenness around us, but drawn to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.